I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So hello and welcome to the Euro Trip. You didn't think that we'd leave you without an episode between Christmas and New Year, did you? Of course, while other podcasts are on holiday, they've disappeared. You won't find them in your streaming feeds for the next few weeks. We're here. We've got an episode this week. We've got another special one next week, which we'll tell you a little bit about later on. But these episodes, James, are a little bit different to normal. They certainly are. So we don't have all of the usual stuff you expect. So there's no news, there's no games, there's no quizzes, there's nothing like that. Instead, it's just one feature-length interview with this week two massive guests from the Eurovision Song Contest. You may remember... Back in episode number 10, we somehow managed to bag a winner of the Eurovision Song Contest. And here we are into Christmas, nearly five or six months after episode number one. We've bagged ourselves not one, but two winners. It's Paul Harrington and Charlie McGettigan. That's right, the rock and roll kids. They won Eurovision in 1994. And this is the best Christmas gift you didn't know you wanted. Because honestly... For the next hour, I think it is, you can just sit back, relax, get yourself wrapping some presents, or if you're listening after Christmas, just get yourself some sort of a sandwich full of leftovers and just enjoy, because James, you had an absolutely wonderful time interviewing this pair. I didn't know what to expect uh, when we got this interview arranged. And when I call it an interview, it's not an interview at all. It's more just like uh, a catch up with some old mates. And that's what it was really like for Paul and Charlie because they haven't seen each other in so long because of lockdown and all of the restrictions and stuff like that. So those two were just having a general catch up and I was just asking a few questions in between, but it's so wholesome. They have recalled some remarkable stories from their 30, 40 odd year careers in the music industry. We will hear about their journey before Eurovision, what it was like 
to win for Ireland in 1994 and all sorts of things that they've been up to since. So as Rob says, whether you're listening before Christmas, wrapping your presents, waiting for family to arrive, or if you're listening after Christmas for something to do, I am certain you will enjoy this one. So let's get to the interview. And to start off this week's big interview, I started off by asking Paul Harrington what his career was like before meeting Charlie McGettigan. Shambolic. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It's a funny thing. Um, I'll try and make this as short as possible for you, but uh, I was on a specific uh, trajectory. I had a day, I had a, a day job, so I was I was called semi semi professional musician. Uh, that was only because you worked during the day, and I, I worked in the civil service. But I used to I came from a musical family. Um, all you know, my older brothers and were all mus- playing guitars and singing and out gigging, and it was. Uh, as a piano player and singer, it was something that I kind of developed really early into my teens, and then I wanted to I wanted to take it uh, out to you know pubs and clubs and whatever. And and I found that I was working something like eight nights a week, and and it was just too much for me. So I gave up my day job and became a professional musician. I made my first record in 1988, which was a cover version of Randy Adelman's Uptown of Temple Woman, um, and it became a hit. And um, so I then released my second single which was a complete flop because I thought, oh, I said to myself, God, this is all very easy. You just release a record and it's a hit, you know? But anyway, it, it didn't quite work that way. But then I worked my, worked my way up to 1991 uh, and I, I decided uh, it was time to put a nice album together. And I would lots of help from my, from my brothers as well, lots of investment and encouragement. And uh, I had an, an, another couple of hits on my hands and I suppose I was enjoying um, it, 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 what was, I suppose, a fledgling career. And uh, I was pretty well established. And then that, that would take me right up to about 1993 uh, before we, we kind of, before I eventually met Charlie. Charlie, I was aware of because I had seen him, and I'll tell you this very quickly. I went to see uh, a, a guy who sounds a little bit like he mightn't be too far from your part of the world, uh, Chris Rhea. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, he was gigging and playing in the National Stadium. And opening the show was a fantastic band called Jargon, which Charlie was, uh, it was his band basically. And I gather he was the songwriter, but, um, and there was one particular song, which I still love and captured my, captured my attention at the time called Bailey Burra and me. You can, you can ask, ask uh, Charlie about that later on. Um, if I ever stopped talking, but, uh, so, um, he, he, he uh, you know, I, 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 I was only maybe a couple of years later that I wound up meeting him, uh, through through Brendan Graham, who wrote Rock and Roll Kids. And there's so much more to that story anyway. But yeah, I mean, I was in a good place. My career was going well. And uh, so, to be honest with you, when it came to Eurovision time, I, w- I wasn't that sure whether I was going to do it or not. But there's, there's, there's much more to that story. Wonderful. Now, Charlie, you had already had a bit of a music career as well. And you, before 1994, had attempted to represent Ireland at the contest a couple of times in the 1980s. Losing out yeah. to both Linda Martin and John Sorry, Logan. Mm-hmm. Tough competition. What, what were those experiences like for you? Well, you know, the, 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 they used to call it in Ireland the National Song Contest way back then. And it was the biggest deal. I suppose it was the biggest opportunity for, for, for people who were relatively unknown songwriters who never would get a chance to get their music out to, the, to, a, big, to a larger audience. And like... Down the years, I had always been putting in songs in, and I qualified, I think, was in 1985. And uh, I think that was with a song called um, 
Bebop Delight, I think it was called. And then I did another one, I can't remember, I think it could have been 87 with a song called Are You Shy? Uh, and, you know, Eurovision in Ireland at that time was a big, big deal. You know, it was, a, it was very important because, you know, even when people didn't live, uh, win the Eurovision, they, they became big stars, you know, they became really well known. For example, Butch Moore in 1966 didn't win. Sean Dunphy didn't win. And all these people became household names in Ireland, you know, so it was, it was a, big, a big thing to do. Um, but going, moving forward to 1994, some, similar to Paul in that I got, when, when I was asked by Brendan to do it, I, I, my first reaction was, I don't really want to do it, Brendan, because I think Paul singing on his own has a much better chance. Uh, because, and it was, it was me that encouraged Brendan to just put that, don't do anything, just have Paul with the piano. And because and, uh, it, it, it sounded so well. But, uh, and we had moved house, we were moving house at the time, and it was a, just wasn't convenient for me to go in. But eventually, because I knew Brendan and I was friendly with him for a long time, I said, okay, we'll, I'll go for the National Song Contest anyway with, with it. And uh, and I remember particularly that the, the first time we met officially, we had met sort of peripherally, I think in Cavan at the Cavan Song Contest or something, I just can't remember. But uh, the, the first time I met Paul was the night that we sang it on television and we went into a, a little rehearsal studio and we spent an hour I'd say playing just piano and guitar and vocals and uh, it came like that and we sang it that night in, in, on television and I particularly remember that night because the Minute um, Chamber Choir were on and, and I'm a big fan of choral music and the Minute Chamber Choir were really really a big choir and they they were sitting around in the rehearsal studio while we were rehearsing at the end of a rehearsal, they applauded. And I said, gee, the, Man the Minute Chamber Choir liked what we do, you know? And I, and, and I said, we're on to a winner here. So I said, I'm going to stick with Paul. I like this. <laughs> so there we were. So that was the first time you met each other. Am I getting that right? The first time yeah, you met each other? Officially, was, yeah, yeah. Was yeah. the day you performed it on TV. That's right, Paul. Is that your remembrance of it? Yeah, yeah. don't forget, we hadn't recorded it as a, as a song or a single yet yeah. because that 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 came after we won the the, the national yeah, song contest, yeah. which was in Limerick. Uh, but you know the precise details I can't remember exactly. But I, I literally do remember. Uh, but you no, know, when you're talking about the Minute Choir, that was the late late show again, wasn't it, Charlie? That was the late late, or was it? No, it was Kenny Live on a Saturday night. Sorry, Kenny. Remember? Kenny Live. Of Kenny course, Live. Of course, yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Very, very good, Pat Kenny. Um. But so we did it then. Did we do it then? Before or after Limerick? That's what I just can't remember. Oh, no, that was first. They were having a song each week for eight, right. eight weeks. That's and we were, we, our, our, we were doing our week. Uh, and I remember the, 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 the pub. And funny enough, I think we went into the radio studio to, to rehearse. And I remember seeing Neve Kavner, who had won it the year before. And she was rehearsing with the orchestra. And I was actually starstruck. When I saw Neil Kavanagh, you know, and, and actually such a close friend now. Uh, but at the time I was sort of, this is the girl that won the Eurovision Song Contest. I was kind of, my eyes were popping out of my head and my jaw was dropped, everything, you know, because uh, I was totally starstruck. Uh, um, a big deal. I mean, uh, and, and it certainly was a big deal and is a big deal, uh, you know, no matter how the cat jumps. I mean, our particular experience of it is, is, and I think everyone's experience is probably unique, although we largely do the same thing. Every, yeah, you, yeah. you represent your country, you win. That's that's that's, <laughs> that's, what we, that's what we we're getting used to, you know. Yeah. Not yeah. anymore. 
Yeah, but what, one of the things that I really liked about being with Paula and moved forward a bit to when, when we were actually in Europe uh, um, after we'd won, it was just great to have somebody else with us because a lot of the time we were in countries where we didn't know the language and usually after a TV show or a concert or whatever, there'd be drinks and a meal and you'd, you know, if you, I, I couldn't imagine being on my own. But no, James, we better let James in say something here because yeah. <laughs> James has left on his own over there. Oh well, I just want to take it back because before you joined us, Paul, Charlie was telling me a little story about how Rock and Roll Kids was originally just a song for you, and how Charlie would sort of encourage it just to be for you a couple of years before 1994. Can you just tell us a bit about that? Loosely, what I can remember was that I I knew Brendan Graham. I think around that time he was possibly the the chairman of of, of Imro, or at least he was. was yeah. Is that right? That, okay. Yep. Yeah. It was, which is the Irish Music Rights Organisation. But uh, yeah, and and I had, you know, part of the life of, of a musician, and a, and a, and it's funny just to very quickly touch upon something Charlie was talking about the two of us being in Europe together. I mean, solo artists. I mean, it's a very very lonely road. I mean, you know, whatever about having bands and comrades and this and that and the other. But as a solo artist, it. And, and he's absolutely right. Just to echo what you're saying, that is, mm. it was it was a godsend having the two of us together. You know, um, you know, for I would say 99.9 times or percent of the time, we we always got on. You know, mm. but, um, tell us about the one percent. Well, do you remember the oh, we smashed up? <laughs> just kidding. No, well, the one percent I'm afraid was about five hotel rooms. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but back to back to your, your original your original question. Um, which was I, as a working musician, I was doing. I would do demos. I'd do anything. I mean, I I, I use my voice to make a living. I I, I uh, you do voiceover, whatever it might be. But a lot of the time, it was it was a big thing for songwriters, and still is, for songwriters to get people to demo their songs, and they will pick singers that they think will suit it, etc., etc. Um, and another a little side story of that which is which is in in uh, in my Eurovision documentary, which you can you can check out uh, somewhere. I don't know, but I remember interviewing uh, Jimmy um, Jimmy Walsh, the guy who wrote "In Your Eyes" for Neve Cavanagh, and the the original demo, which he still has. The original demo was done by Adina Mendez, the, the the girl who then went on to be the huge star of, of Wicked. So there you go. Anyway, there, that, she, that was her job in New York. Mm. He said, you called her up, you gave her $75, she did your song. That was it. Mm. So, But like that, Brendan showed up in Lombard's studio with me at the piano with a handful of songs, and I was going through them, putting them down for him. And this was the standout one for me. And uh, I think the history of it then was that it, it, it wound up being entered into the song contest. Charlie, ironically, you were on one of the selection panels one year, so you had yes. to allow yourself or, just, or, or recuse yourself or whatever they say. Yeah. And, and it didn't get through anyway that year. But it was, it was just some years later that, that uh, when it did get through, um, and Brendan had asked me, had I any feelings or about, about somebody joining me on it or, uh, you know, like, a guitar player, which I originally suggested Bill Shanley, who's a friend of mine. I've been playing with him for years. I never knew that. I was second choice. No, no. I'm closing down now. Good luck. Bye-bye. <laughs> it was already preordained with Brendan, because Brendan, Brendan was saying, kind of looked at me and kind of said, yeah, right, Bill, yeah. He said, 
what about Charlie McGettigan? You know, I said, yeah, oh, right. I said, oh, the guy from Jargon and this and that. I said, oh, yeah, and he wrote this and that. And I said, oh, yeah, that'd be lovely. So, you know what I mean? But they already knew each other. So I was being set up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, there, well, there it is. That's, that isn't the answer to your question, but, you know, what is? <laughs> the, 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 the natural um, thing, I, I, as you say, I live down here in Drumshambo in the, in, in the sticks, as they call it, in the country. And you live in... You you live in uh, up in in you, you were living in in uh, Dublin. Um, what what's the name of the place? It's just gone out of my head. Cholester, yeah, of course. Uh, and naturally, what they call dubs and culties, they don't necessarily get on well together. You know, it, um, because you know we, we have different accents, we you know different ways of looking at the world. So it was an absolute miracle that that that, that the two of us got on so well. You know. Um, yeah, and still do to this day. We are we are absolutely very very different people. But I mean, I, I, in in many ways, I think I think what 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 developed over the years, or certainly was not even developed, but what was there from the start, was respect, you know, for each other's musicianship ability. And I think that in, that established a very very uh, positive way forward. You know, so it, you know you you didn't allow. I mean, if there were, if there were any other personality differences. You know, you had this very, very solid grounding as, as, as you know, I mean, only recently we, we chatted, Charlie sent a little bit picture of, of, a, of a concert we did and, and last summer, wasn't it last yeah, summer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boyle Arts, Arts Festival. And it was a fantastic evening. I mean, even to the point that I, here's, the, here's the little details you, if you remember. I remember on the, I put my back out on the way there, just one of those strange things. And I got on to Charlie and I said, listen, please bring painkillers, lots of painkillers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so you know, it's it's it, it, he he was a diff, he's a different type of supplier, you know. <laughs> I, I know one thing, James. Uh, you will realize very quickly with Paul, he has a, a very distinct Dublin wit, you know. Um, and I remember a couple of stories. One story was we'd all been hearing about the Interval Act in the Eurovision, which we now know was was Riverdance, and um, somebody I think it was Pat Kenny was interviewing us one time, and and. Uh, the, the, the subject of Michael Flatley came up and somebody said he can do something like 120 um, taps of his feet in 30 seconds. And Paul, as quick as a, as a shot, says, 130 taps? He says, there's a plumber up in Calester that can do far more. <laughs> Just like that. And another, I remember another night, a couple of things. We were at uh, one of the first um, European gigs we did. We, we were in the hotel room. And Paul picks up the phone and he rings the the, the, the reception. Um, there's only one television in our room, and he says, "Yeah, what, what is? Yeah, you wanted what, another television? No, no, we we were told we ordered ten televisions. You want ten televisions? And you're, yeah, yeah, we wanted televisions to throw out the window like rock stars do. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we were all, all of a sudden we were catapulted, you know, as a duo into in, in this. Um, Kind of lifestyle, you know, and it was it was you know it was so enjoyable, Charlie. When you think about it, like it was you know you know record companies and people. I mean, when I say no, not it was wasn't on a large large scale, yeah. but it was on a lovely people picking you up to the airport and driving you here and there. Yeah. And you know, there's always a great you know great schedules uh, put together for it, you know. So I mean, I mean, to be honest with you, it was it was exhausting too. I mean, because you're you, you're just I I you know I watch these guys. Well, I don't watch too much of it, to be honest, but you know shows shows that are all, you know, presented by and devised by and owned by Simon Cowell, whatever they're all, they all have different names over the years. But I mean, the exhaustive and the energy you would need 
oh, yeah. to keep going. No, it's sure. Especially if you're winning, you're going yeah. on it into the week, the next week, the next week. I mean, that's nuts stuff. I mean, we were lucky as well. We had a song that wasn't particularly taxing to sing, mm. you know. And, mm. and when you traveled and when you, you know, it's quite extraordinary. You know, the one song becomes the show whether you're doing it on a German television show or, or Sweden or whatever it is, you're, you're putting all of your energy into that three minutes. And, and ironically, you, you know, when we would do a two-hour show then, I mean, it's, it's kind of the same thing. It's almost the same energy went into that one performance. Yeah, you know? yeah, but thank yeah. It was an easy, it wasn't, it wasn't like a crazy taxing song to sing, you know, like it wasn't kind of a big, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody or something. But, you know, thinking back of, of incidents, I was trying to think, you know, we were talking earlier on, James, before you came, and um, I was, I, do you remember the night we did, uh, actually the afternoon we did at a, at a concert in Frankfurt, and it was the 750th anniversary of the city, and I think there was, I think there could have been 100,000 people at the, at, the, at the event, and we got up on the stage, and we start, uh, you know, we said, oh, hello, Frankfurt, Frankfurt, and this voice came out of the audience. Get back to drum shambo, you gobshite. You know, and this was in like the, the, the chances of somebody from drum shambo being in the audience that size. And, and uh, you know, because people in drum shambo bring you down to earth very quickly. Wow. <laughs> but I remember that so well. I know. I listen. I, Charlie, you can, you can, what Charlie says right there, James, is absolutely 100% true. I, sp I, sp I spend the night. Um, being dragged through a bush, I come on the telly and he tells me, brush your hair. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you about the song, because the song, you've mentioned it plenty of times, written by Brendan Graham, massive, massive songwriter in Ireland. What was it like to have your song for Eurovision written by him? We were the rock and roll kids Rock and roll was all we did Listening to those songs on the radio I was yours and you were mine That was once upon a time Now we never seem to rock and roll Well, you see, at that time, believe it or not, Brendan, you know, was, you know, relatively unknown as a song, even though he had had a song, I think two songs in the Eurovision before for Ireland. I think uh, When by Red Hurley was one of them. And I can't think of the other one now. But um, he hadn't written You Raised Me Up at this stage. You know, he hadn't written that great song, You Raised Me Up, which literally catapulted him into the world, the stratosphere as far as songwriters is concerned. And, you know, I think he was telling me the last count, something like 1,500 people had recorded that song alone, you know. So, but at the time, he was just Brendan, because I'd known Brendan for, and Paul, as you say, Paul would have done demos for him. I knew Brendan for 20 years before that. Uh, and, and he was just Brendan, you know. Um, so so I, we, we'd written songs together, himself and Brendan had written songs together, recorded songs. And, and you know, it, it, was, it didn't seem as big a deal uh, to have Brendan write the song, but we knew it was a great song. You know, yeah. Well, but we didn't. We, you know, in the in the in the scheme of things, we shouldn't have won because we, you know we were the most. Opposite the, we were some. Somebody told us we were. Uh, who won the Eurovision Song Contest? I was two old buggers with beards. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were the last king would expect yeah. to win the Eurovision. But that's the no, thing, he, isn't it? Because Ireland had won those two previous years before you, and there was this, there was this rumor, wasn't there? I don't know how well this got to you, but. There's this rumor that Ireland sort of didn't want to win again, so they deliberately sent a song that they thought 
wouldn't win. But very foolish of to put us in with that song. I can tell you <laughs> didn't want to win. <laughs> Funny, you're the second person, uh, James, that has said that. You know, um, and and the, the last one was I think the last interview did with somebody in Europe. I think I forget Paul, but um, I hadn't heard that ever before. You know, I, I, before the last two conversations that I've had about that that particular story, I'd never heard that ever before. No, I I, I think it was a bit of urban myth because I, I do remember a, a lovely lady who was our head of delegation, uh, gone now, sadly, uh, Anita Notaro. And, um, you know, I remember going back, oh, probably a couple of years before we were, we were, we were in it. And, I, you know, and she said, I was working with her on some TV shows. She was a television director. Uh, with, with our national station RTE and uh, she said to me kind of not as directly as this but she said look have you ever thought about going into the Eurovision have you ever thought about doing it and I said really because it was always a bit of you know for us it, when I said I was considered not not doing it when I, I remember going in to meet Brendan at the time when he said it got through and I remember I, I was with a friend of mine in who was in my band at the time and I said, I don't know how I'm going to tell this man. I don't want to do it, you know. And I and I went in to the Imro headquarters, and he was there. And he kind of kind of looked at me and kind of opened his arms. He said, Well, and of course I ran up to him and I said, Yes, absolutely, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I hadn't the I hadn't the heart, you know. But, but my but, yeah, and he was he 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 has that kind of gentle gentle giant thing. But um, but I, I digress a bit now. I got a bit lost there. Where was I going with that? Um, we're, talking, we're talking about you know how important it was to have Brendan writing her song. That was the question, James. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he Brendan um uh, has often said to me that you know. If it if it weren't for the success of Rock and Roll Kids, he said, you know, it, it it was that, and then the voice, of course, on top of that. But he said that encouraged him and gave him the confidence to write something like "You Raise Me Up." So yes, Anita Notaro. Yes, that was the story I was telling you. I was starting. I'll pick, I'll pick that up. Anita Notaro, who was the TV director, she had said to me uh, more than once. She said. If you you know if you did consider going into the, representing or going in, she said she said there's a very good chance that you would get through and that you'd wind up representing us. Now, maybe that was just uh, you know it was it was only it was years afterwards that I thought about that. I said you know was was this pre pre planned or you know in other words it was a bit like it was a bit like saying look if you if if you go for the job you're probably going to get it you know yeah and that was kind of funny that you should say funny, funny I, I, people are telling me now I'm doing my memoir you know and I'm talking to different people from way back when I was a teenager 14, 15 years of age and several of the people said that I had said I'm going to win that song contest one some year you know uh, and mm. that that was when I was 14 years of age 15 years of age you know little did I did I think you know that I ever would but but seemingly I was saying it all the time to people I'm going to win that you know I had I remember dreaming and you know years ago and this is going to sound terribly egotistic but I I, I used to dream of a poster in my bedroom on the wall or on the door and I'm afraid the poster was of me, but um, <laughs> it was a kind of a side profile shot, but it was huge. And I remember when we were down in Limerick doing the National Song Contest, beside us, or behind us, was a thing called a Viddy wall. It was very early screen. Yes, yes all, yeah, yeah, yeah. All made of blocks. Hmm. But, you know, I remember sitting there playing, we were in a rehearsal, and, and then when we went live, and I remember kind of glancing, and I said, well, there it is. There's my dream. There's, there's the post, the post. Yeah. You know, 
and it was it was literally like that that visual you know yeah, back yeah. to your back to your question about the rumor about RTE not wanting to um uh, not wanting to win that year there's nobody in the right mind would go into that not not wanting to win i mean with the exception perhaps I think that by the time we sent out Dustin was was that was a mistake. I don't think they really cared much about that. Um, but I don't know. To answer your question, I I, I had heard it, but I, to me, it was, I thought it was a bit like urban myth. Number one, number two, you don't want to lose. Number three, RT are very capable of cancelling a hugely successful TV series like that as well. So you, who mm. knows? Mm. So at what point then, for for both of you, Charlie, you can you can go first. When at what point did you think you could win? Was it when you first performed the song with Paul? Was it when you won the, the national final? Was it when you performed on the night? When did you think this could actually happen? To, to be quite honest, James, um, it was such an honour from, from, from me, I don't know about Paul, but to, to represent the country. I, I'm not a footballer. I'm never going to be in the Olympic Games. Um, but to actually have the pleasure of being representing the country at something was the was the big thing for me. You know that was you know I just felt so privileged to be there, and um, I, I remember the voting was going. You know after with about three juries to go, um, uh, they were all saying so you know, you're going to win. You can't be beaten now. You know, and I could see the guitar over in the corner. I'm going to have to do a reprise if we win it. You know, but I was afraid. I could see myself going over, taking out the guitar and ready to go. And the winner is Holland. You know, and, 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 and you know, I, I, I don't think either of us ever contemplated or even conceived of a win. We just enjoyed the experience. At least I don't know about you, Paul, but you know, I enjoyed the experience to be in our own in the national in, in the in the O2 Arena, the O3 Arena, with the president of the country there, the the prime minister of the country there, and a massive crowd of people, and you're representing Ireland to, to 500 million people or something around around yeah, Europe. Well, I think know. around the time it was around 400 million television viewers at the time. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, every you know live audience, television audience, your home audience, your international audience. Your, your state dignitaries, everybody there, your family, all of that. I mean, uh, like, you know, honour is almost too, too, too light a word for it. It's, it, it was overwhelming. But, um, you know, as, as my, one of my brothers sometimes loosely puts it, he said, he said, don't forget, you wore the green jersey and you won, not like <laughs> the other shower. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it, it's a, and and speaking of that, I ne I never get being in a nightclub not long after, and you know, Paddy Bonner and Andy Townsend. Up, I don't know if these are if these are names that you would remember, but uh, you're you're young. These were these were uh, playing on their on our uh, uh, team. and 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 others, you know, but like them coming over, congratulating, and and Paddy saying, "Oh, sure, I was jumping up and I sprained my ankle jumping up and down on a couch in the in." Yeah. Living in Glasgow at the time, I mean, this this sort of stuff was bizarre. I mean, I mean, it 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 was like, you know, I don't know, it's like it's like I was going to say it's like the Truman Show, or I was going to say it's 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 like living in Dawkey, where where <laughs> Dawkey is a suburb of 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 of, of uh, Dublin, where all these stars live, you know, and and it's weird. It's like the Truman Show, seeing people going in and out of shops, like all, all very you know faces off the telly sort of thing. But yeah, you know, funny. Do I don't know about you, Paul, but people are always coming up to me and saying, I, "I was such and such a place when you when when you won the Eurovision Song Contest. I was doing such and such a thing, and I met a woman." about oh, 20 years ago. And she said, God, she said, I was listening to you the, the, the night you won. It was on the radio. I was in the ambulance going in to have a baby and the radio was on on the, on the, on the, on the ambulance, fellow driving the ambulance, she could hear it. And she said, 
the baby nearly came on the spot. I was, I was um, such excited about it. You know, uh, uh, people tell you all kinds of different stories where they were. You know, it, you know, it's. And well, you know, twenty six years later, uh, that's that's uh, that's new to me. You know, we every yeah. now and again, which is great. We, we there's still stuff to be revealed about this. You know what I mean? Yeah. About your yeah. experience, experience and our shared experience. Because don't forget, you know, when, when, when a lot of the time when the dust had settled, Charlie got back home. I'd I'd be back in, in, in my parents' house, whatever you know, whatever I was doing, and and uh, you know, life kind of went on in some sort of normal fashion, or some sort of normality. I think you know, you know, yeah. it's, it's strangest thing though. And funny great, thing, though. funny thing that just occurred to me: Brendan Graham would never have written "You Raise Me Up" if it wasn't for the rock and roll kids being because he met the fella that that wrote the melody for "You Raise Me Up." in right. Norway. Do you remember that? And I remember the night he met him. And right. about a year later, um, he, your man sent him, I can't think of his name now, he, he Ralph, sent him the... Rolf Loveland. Rolf, yes, him. And, 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 uh, and indeed, Rolf had a song in, in a couple of years later um, with Finola Sherry. But anyway, but if I, it's, you know, the six degrees of separation thing. If, if, if we hadn't been in the Eurovision that year, he wouldn't have been there and met Rolf and then wouldn't have written You Raise Me Up, which is possibly the biggest song of, of the last 50 years of, as, as regards the amount of airplay and the amount of people that sing it and stuff like that. So it's, it's, a, it's a strange strange thing to think. I often think, uh, you know, when the Beatles did, went in to do their, their, their audition in EMI, in EMI in London, uh, and if George Martin hadn't have been there that particular day, what yeah, would have happened? I, I, I do, uh, James, I do a, um, a, a radio thing every, every Tuesday. Uh, I'm just a guest on, on, on um, Pat Kenny's radio show on, on News Talk here in, in Ireland. But it's, it's, uh, I've been working with them for a couple of years doing different things. But this, this one is called The Lyrics the Thing. And it involves going through the, you know, just delving into the lyric of a, of a, of a classic song and a performance. But apart from that, what has been the most fascinating part of all of that for me is finding the, you know, like the path of a song, which is extraordinary. Songs that barely made it or totally accidentally became a hit or somebody happened to hear it or somebody walked into a room and said, what's that? You know, it's, it's absolutely, as you say, the, the, not the serendipity, but it, it, the whole thing is, is like a, it's all a game of chance, really, isn't it? Yeah, mm, it's oh, crazy, totally. isn't it? It's totally. crazy. So let's take it to, to the contest in Ireland, 1994, talk us through that experience. Do you still have memories that just come back to this day that, that sort of spring out as the, the highlights and stuff like that? What was it, what was it like? Well, we, first of all, we were staying in, the, in the, a place, a really very, one of the top hotels in, in, in the country. And, um, and the English um, representative, she was Rochelle, was she, was she something? Francis, um, Francis Rochelle, was that her name? That's yes, yes, yes. Very good, yeah. very good. So we were all we were all in the same in the same hotel, and we began to realise because the troubles were still going on in the north of Ireland that she had a lot of a lot of bodyguards and a lot of people around her. Some somebody told us, and we'd spend the day in the lobby. Wonders that wonders that the bodyguard over there is that the fellow with the gun that will have the gun that'll pull if there's a, an incident and stuff like that, you know, and. Yeah. But we, we had, I remember sitting beside um, the, the, the British um, representative in Northern Ireland, I can't think of what the exact title is, Tom King. I remember sitting at, a, at, a, at breakfast and he was there talking to Seamus Mallon of the SDLP at the next table. You know, it was that kind of a hotel, you know, an awful lot of high profile 
people well, was, said that. Don't forget, this was all. This, there was a, there was a ceasefire in nineteen ninety. Yeah, yeah, but there was still it was still going on. Absolutely, you know? absolutely right, but there was obviously there was obviously talks because I remember we 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 met the late John Hume, who was there also, happened yeah. to be around that, at that time. And I remember my late brother Robert and, and, and various things, you know, various family members, you know. But uh, here's, you know, Terry Wogan, in fact, I think was he was staying there. Yeah. The hotel. Well, there was the called the called the Berkeley Court or the Berkeley Court, Berkeley Court uh, yeah, yeah. in Lansdowne Road, Balls Bridge. It's no longer that, but uh, but it was, uh, and which was a very interesting thing because there was, a, you know, that we were staying in lovely rooms there, but but when we won it, um. The uh, the owner uh, it was a fellow like Doyle. I can't think of his first name at the moment, but I I I, I kind of knew him through something vicariously through somebody else. I don't think that made any any difference. But he then gave us the penthouse suite. Oh yes, to celebrate our, to our party in, which was lovely. Yeah. You know, it was a, there was a kind of a daily routine, wasn't it, Paul? You know, we'd go over to to the Point Depot to the venue where it was all happening, and we'd rehearse again and again. And Brendan would sit in in in, in the in the viewing room. And he would watch our performance and uh, he would suggest things to the director of the program. Maybe you could have a close up here or maybe a feature of the hands of the piano here or, you know, whatever it was. That's Brendan Graham I'm talking about. And then we'd, we'd have a little after, after performance chat about how it all went and blah, blah. But then in the evening times, all the different delegations had parties. Uh, you know, the, the, each each delegation would host host a party in a hotel or in a, a nightclub or whatever. And I, my memory of it is now Drumshambo, where I live, where I am now, has a population of about seven hundred people. That's that's the, that's the height of it. And our we had our um, our party in Kitty O'Shea's. I think it was the O'Shea's there on Grand Canal Street. I think nobody, there was nobody left in Drumshambo uh, that particular night. <laughs> Everybody from Drumshambo arrived up to Kitty O'Shea's and they all met the stars and they were all delighted. I have loads and loads of photographs of just people from around the town here um, meeting Jerry Ryan and meeting all the different stars that were around there at, at, at the time. And, and it, it, it was a we went around in a kind of a dream, Paul, really, I, I, I think. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I, you know, you're, you're talking about the, the Eurovision 1994, the, uh, the April 30th. But mm. as Charlie says, it was a, there was a whole run up to it, a whole build up to it. You know, your 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 you know press interviews and things like that. And, and you know, you know, we we got you know enormous coverage. I mean, it was phenomenal. I mean, we were like you 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 know literally anywhere you would go, people people recognized you, people knew you, and um, and but it was it was very nice. It was well wishes, you know, you know, and and uh, like that. Each day had a bit of a routine, a bit of a rehearsal, um, and I think there was, you know, a couple of standout moments for me was was I I, I would not normally certainly not then I was I, I was certainly wouldn't be standing up for myself, but at the time I, I said look I said this is a big deal you're you're putting we're trying to put our best foot forward, and I'm I, I, this isn't going to work this little kind of half-hearted little piano that they. Put I remember on. that. Huge stage. I remember just that. Me, it was me and him, and it was this tiny little thing, and it was ridiculous. And I said, yeah. "It looks ridiculous. It feels ridiculous." And uh, so I said, "I think, you know, we have time. Let's change." Anyway, we, we, I, 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 all of a sudden, you felt you felt like somebody with a magic wand. You felt very powerful then, because the next day there's this huge thing came in, like like about two Cadillacs stuck together, you know, um, piano. Uh, and again, it was, you're, you're, in, you're, in a, you're in a culture of, of, of television and TV and, and, and 
people, powerful people, or certainly people who thought they were powerful, but you know, and you'd be afraid of your life to say anything, you know, mm, to say, mm. can I do this or can, you know, again, like I remember they, they had, they didn't lock the piano. So I remember one of the rehearsals I was playing the piano and it kept moving, kept moving away from me further and further and further away. <laughs> the longest arms in the world. You know? <laughs> it was like something, it's like something like out of Les Dawson, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so they said, oh yeah, that's just, the, that's just, we have to lock it into place, you know? Talking about the piano, that, that morning that that happened, we arrived into this, what then was an enormous television set, like it was huge set. And and yeah. Paul goes up to the piano and starts giving out about the piano. But it reminded me of the story when Jerry Lee Lewis, the famous rock and roll star, was was playing down in Cork, and and they, he demanded that there would be a piano, a grand piano, in his room, and so they couldn't get it up the stairs. So they got a crane and they got the grand piano and they got it in through a window. They broke two windows up open and put it into and and landed the piano in his in his room. So he eventually arrived anyway, and he went bring on the piano. Lousy piano, get rid of it. <laughs> so it's just, I was, I remember. That's the other, that's the other side of it. That's yeah. the other side. Oh, that, that, that's, why, that's why people in show business have to be kept in check. <laughs> <laughs> so, with your performance, you two have got three sort of records, three firsts that I guess nobody's going to beat because you were the first to do it. So, you were the first male duo to, to win the contest. You were the first winning song to be performed without an orchestra. And you were the first song to win with over 200 points. It was fairly groundbreaking, wasn't it? Yeah, it really, really well. I mean, there's another record there. We were also the oldest duo ever to, to, to uh, go into that. So, Think yeah, for yourself. I didn't Think want to mention yourself. that. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, it's all in the Guinness Book of Records. It's not, I'm not making it up. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it was absolutely, I mean, groundbreaking might be too, might be too strong a word for me, you know, I, but I do know what you mean, certainly in Eurovision terms, it was, it was, it was a great record and a great record to hold. And of course, there's a, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a strange thing about, about, you know, the Irish psyche. It's, you know, it, I don't know what it is, whether we, it's always, we're always a bit of a Asher look at grand like you know <laughs> you know sure look at the asher look at it's the hot the yeah. asher, look. And, and it's all a bit we were we we're not we're not great at kind of standing proud and saying yeah you know what that was fantastic that was brilliant that was absolutely great and and we were great and thank you you know well, yeah i don't know what it is but a fellow said to me one time i was doing my very first big concert with jargon was at the balisadere folk festival and there were eight thousand people at the festival and i was feeling um, I was feeling quite nervous and I was probably white in the face with nerves. And this big American guy, whose name was Dave Von Ronk, was, he was a blues singer from America. And I didn't know who he was, but he came up to me and he said, man, you look, you look scared. Are you OK? Well, I said, it's my first time to play to such a big audience, 8,000 people. Well, I'll give you one bit of advice. Don't forget to enjoy it. And I hadn't thought of enjoying it. And I have to say... The three minutes on that stage in the in the in the tree arena that night were the three most enjoyable three minutes of my musical career. It was just and, it, and it we got was, to double it. We got a second three minutes. Yeah, that's true. Which was which was beautiful. Well, yeah. that, well, that's it as well. I must ask because we've spoken to a few other artists on the podcast, and some of them say they loved it, they enjoyed it, but then some say they've got no recollection of that performance on the night. Is it different for you, Charlie? You say it was the most yeah. enjoyable well, for you because of that 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 moment that the fellow that that man said to me. You know, it's quite easy to forget because you're caught up in the mechanics and in the you know in the whole. And I remember when Paul and myself, and every time we played, you know, there'd be some little slight little difference or little chord 
change thrown in or little something in there and we'll catch each other's eyes, you know, and we know then we're in the moment, you know, we're, we're enjoying that particular moment and not nothing else, not thinking of results, not thinking of Absolutely. anything else, just enjoying doing what we're doing. It's never been aut automatic. It's never because it, because it is, you know, it's, it's a live, it's a re I think it's a really real organic song because we do ever you know ever we are it'd be only slightly nuanced little changes between the two of us you know we've rarely had we've rarely had to had to drop a key maybe on occasion when i when i maybe after a bad cold or something like that if the top end of your voice is clipped and you're doing t there was one time we did um drop drop the key from e to d which was a big drop we did it on the late late i mean it's, you can you can check this stuff out if you want i mean they're they're they're, they're i mean they were absolutely so memorable you know I mean, you remember I, I don't know if you remember in the, in the, in the on the panel was linda and louis walsh and all these various people standing up giving us the standing ovation and, and it was you know every time we do it there's always some i don't know there's a real connection with this song i mean 26 years later this is this is still a very popular tune well that's the thing isn't it because there's a there's a video online if people want to go and watch it where you were performing on the late late show in ireland at the beginning of 2020 and there's a part near the end of the song I think, Paul, you go, come on, everyone, you, you know the words. And then the full audience, still 26 years on, knows all of the words. People still love the song, don't they? Would you do it on your own? Of course they would. Come on. Let's hear you. yours I was yours and you were mine that was once upon a time now we never seem to rock and roll anymore that was a very special TV show um, um, not just because it was at the beginning of COVID but uh, there was a there was such a, a chemistry um, between Paul and myself and then between the two of us and the audience uh, and you, you you can't you couldn't write that you couldn't plan that you know th that's just people's reaction to something because it could be that it's a memory for them it's something they are and it's sung at football match I'm funny the year we won my my, my late son Shane I go to football matches where he was playing football with his college and all the crowd is sing rock and roll kids when they come in and he got a nickname he was known as the rocker because of that you know it's weird. Yeah. Uh, but it's lovely. I mean, it's, it's you know, and, and people don't forget, I mean, in, in the strange times we're living in now, you know, it really, to me, it really highlights how the, 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 further, the more I see people standing, stepping away from each other, and the more I see people when they when they almost meet and you're about to shake hands and then you have to step back and that sense of of of, of almost hostility that, that that this creates that these regulations create I've never seen it more clear how how deeply people need to be connected to each other oh, yeah. oh, and yeah. music of course is one of the all time instant connectors you know yeah, I mean it's yeah, incredible yeah. so I mean I, I, that's what this time is highlighting for me yeah you're you're absolutely right I want to. Uh, ask about a few other things aside from 1994 and stuff like that because once you've won you are Eurovision forever aren't you do you know what I mean you, you, you're still connected people know you forever it opens a, a lot of doors for you I guess you don't have any regrets because it's just it's it sort of paved the way for the rest of your careers hasn't it 
Yeah, well, it, it, it becomes you, what you're known for, what you're mainly known for. If somebody um, um, is talking about Charlie McGettigan, they say, oh, he, he the fellow that won the Eurovision, or Paul Harrington, he's the fellow that won the Euro, Euro, Eurovision. Yeah. And thankfully, um, if, we had a, if we had been singing a song that we didn't particularly like, imagine what that must be like. You know, I, I mean, and you weren't particularly fond of the song. You only did it because for the money or for the whatever, for your career or something. And that would be different, but I have never. I've any gig that I've ever done, it's included in the gig. And every gig Paul does, I guarantee it could be done two or three times in, in, in a Paul Harrington gig. And then when we come together, it's even better. There's a piece that it's funny that I just shared uh, yesterday uh, on Facebook. It was just we were upstairs in the National Concert Hall, and there was a choir, and they were going to sing with us, and we just started to sing a cappella. Uh, Paul thing and and Paul was going around with the ca with the camera holding the camera like this and I put it up yesterday and thousands of people have clicked in. Oh my God, I've never heard it with a choir before, you know. Oh, brilliant! Uh, and, brilliant. Yeah, so so I think um, we are very lucky that the whole chemistry still exists. You know, it's still there. That was the Brendan Graham night, wasn't it? In, yes. in the concert hall, was it? Yeah, ah, yeah. yeah. It was unbelievable, unbelievable. And, and again, yet another different angle to the performance. I mean, it's 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 extraordinary how how I don't know. It's user friendly. I mean, it seems to fit into almost every category of of, of shows, or you know, mm -hmm. it just it just has that sort of a magic. But um, you know, just kind of answering the same question, um, you know. For me, you know, it's 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 not a. I don't know if it's a case of it defining you. I mean, the reality is you don't know ever, because you you don't have anything to compare it with. You don't. You can't go back over your life and say, okay, let me just run it. What what life would have been like if we didn't win? Mm -hmm. But we don't know. So yeah. therefore, you work with with what you have, and and you you use it to your advantage. And I can tell you, you know, there's people out there in 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 music, you know, from days of old and people, up and coming artists who would give their right arm to have a, you know, a song that is, that is synonymous or, or, or I, 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 forever identified with them as an artist. Mm. So it, you know, it, it can cast a long shadow insofar as just to, just to be realistic about it as well. I mean, insofar as that, you know, often forevermore, it's very difficult to present any of your new work or your new material or your new album on, 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 on TV outlets because they kind of say, yeah, that's a, what's that new song again? What was that called? Yeah, love, very mm. nice. Listen, you wouldn't just sing Rock and Roll Kids for us, would you? Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of, so there is, there is a bit of that, but I mean, that is, that is, a, that's the trade-off. I mean, that's, that's the way it goes, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. You know, we're, 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 anyway, you know, we could we could talk all day here about and tell you stories about about yeah. things. Uh, a lot of these stories, even this morning, are new. You know, you've told a couple of stories that I hadn't remembered, and you, I've probably told a couple that you didn't remember. That's you know, what I'm saying. Didn't have you, you, you know, you literally. I I heard the story about the the lady having the baby for the first time today. You yeah. know. Yeah, but uh, yeah. you know, it's funny you should say it. Just going, going back a little bit as well. I mean, it, it just I, I always feel I should say this. Today is my mother's anniversary uh, oh. of our death uh, the, uh, back in two thousand two. But I mean, you know, to be this this was the key for me. I mean, it was really for the family and for yeah. her, for them. I mean, you know, to see your family that you know that proud, you know, is pretty extraordinary. That is one of the probably. Can I, Yes. Can I, course, can I tell can I tell a couple of stories about your mum? 
do. Uh, I, I remember we, we called, I, I, Colester was a kind of a stopping off point for, for us. And I remember one particular day, we, yeah, yeah, where Paul lived. And, uh, and we went in and there was a, a radio on on a, on a hall stand in the hall. And then we went into the dining room and there was a radio on in the dining room. And then into the living sitting room, there was another radio on. Up, there was a radio on up in two of the bedrooms upstairs. And you said, Ma, what's all the ra- what are all the radios for? Oh, she said, do you not get more money the more times it's heard on the radio? <laughs> and the other story is the, the big press conference, the, the, the morning after Eurovision, we were there and the, the Europe's press were there. There must have been maybe 50, 60 people with microphones and notebooks and the little and all. And in the middle of the press conference, your mobile phone went off. Well, Hannah, they were only just really out. The digital yeah. mobile phones were just out. So we, 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 were, we you know, yeah. we were, the three of us all seemed to have one. Any, well, I had, I had this. What we thought was small at the time, but it was a big, yeah, it was a big bulky thing. thing yeah, yeah. But uh, the, the phone rang, and anyway, uh, you went, and I heard Paul saying in front of everybody, "Ma, I told you not to be ringing me at work. Good luck." <laughs> I, I think I think it was something to the effect that we're we're in the middle of a press conference now. You know, she said, "Oh, okay, all right. Well, I'll call you back later on." You know, and which was and it was being it was being filmed for RT News yeah. at the time, so they showed the clip later on that night. I mean, of course. You know, it was just one of those things. I, I, I was going to say at, at the time when nobody really knew uh, anything about about mobile phone etiquette. You know, uh, and it, they clearly don't know less about mobile phone <laughs> true, etiquette true, nowadays. True. That's, that's the reality. Oh, these, I'm loving these stories. I, I want to ask uh, Charlie. I want to get to some of your other stuff you've done for Eurovision, sort of writing songs, being involved in the jury. I'll ask you in a, in a second. But for you, Paul, what do you make of Eurovision nowadays? Or especially, what do you make of Ireland's involvement? Because Ireland is a powerhouse. We, we know from, from the 90s, from the 80s, Donna in 1970. What is it going to take for Ireland to get back to where, to where it should belong? Well, you know, I think, I think the first thing we need is, is a vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> before, we, before we can do anything. That's the truth. Um, we were due to perform last year in, 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 in Holland. We were, we were supposed to be guests, uh, um, and it's a longer story. And hopefully, if it, if it, if it re-happens again, we, we may just wind up making an appearance this year. But I think, I mean, I really, uh, whatever way it's, it's, it's designed now, or maybe people have moved on in a different way. I, I, I thought we had a couple of very good chances. I think for a lot of years, we didn't send anything, anything of any consequence. That's to be truthful. I think there was a lot of very, very... Uh, seriously mediocre things went out. I think, and again, somebody, if one's man's mediocrity might be somebody else's art. But for me, um, the last impressive one was was Rhino Shocknessy. He was a fabulous young songwriter guy and, and, and it was a very, very clever little video. The whole, the whole, the whole storyline was very clever. And to be honest with you, I really don't know how, how the mechanics work anymore. I know that I know that there are juries and you can get half the votes or seventy percent of the votes, but people talk about politics, voting. Maybe that is still interfering. I I I would say Ireland's chances of winning again are 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 slim enough, you know. Uh, but because I don't know, I mean, I really don't know. Every time that, you know I, that I've thought they've gone out with a great song, I think ah, this is it. There's, you know, we've, we've been not, not pipped by the post, but well beaten. So I really don't know. I don't, uh, I, I was, I was, I was talking to James earlier on uh, before you came in. Um, and we were talking about this, about winning. Uh, we we're talking actually about England, about Great Britain not winning. And, uh, and I'm convinced 
uh, the reason that the, the whole thing has changed is because of the telephone voting. Now, I'm not against telephone voting, but no. I've been flogging this thing for years with, with, with RTE and with Eurovision people. If, if the, the telephone voting was changed to with given an incentive to match, you know, so the people would be voting for the song and not for the country and not for the thing that say for example all the juries will, will, will vote and they'll give one two three four five now the trick would be if you can tell tell call in what you think are the top five songs that the jury would possibly have gone for uh, and if you win and you match it you get a bmw car or you get a, a new mercedes or a holiday euros, whatever they're this, these, you know, they, these, these things they, they clean up on these tele, tele voting, but they things. would make more this way because there's an incentive, you've got a big oh. prize, and also it would mean that the people are voting for what they think is the best song rather than because um, Estonia live next door or Latvia are over here or, or whatever. And I don't, although I don't think, I think the political thing is gone. I don't think it's a I agree with you. Thing. I mean, I, I, I just said that out of laziness, to be honest. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I actually don't, because, I, you know, because in fact, it has moved right back out of, like when, when I say political thing, we used to, it was all the so-called Eastern Bloc countries mm. voting for each other. Um, and, you know, uh, and we know there's no interference uh, from Russians or anything like that. It's certainly not in with elections or America or any anything of that sort. <laughs> but however, um, of course, I mean, with with the tech, technology nowadays, I mean, all sorts of things can be infer, interfered with and duplicated. But the, Charlie's right that, in other words, you force people into a situation where they say, "Yeah, I'd love to vote for that country because they're my neighbor." But guess what? I want the five hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. I want, I want, I want, I want the BMW for ten years, or, or for, you know, a new one yeah. every year. A, per, a perfect example. Yeah, perfect. A perfect example was the year that Dustin got through. Uh, everybody wondered how did Dustin get through to represent Ireland. Yeah. Dustin was one of the most popular children's television or young people's television stars. You know, this this puppet that that talked really coarsely and blah blah blah, right in your face stuff, and turkey. Yeah, a, 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 a puppet turkey. The reason that that got through was the telephone voting, because all the youngsters who watched uh, Dustin's television program, they all voted for him. They voted for this. He was one of those popular figures on television because it was funny and it was crazy and bonkers. And, and it's a perfect example of how telephone things get it wrong, you know. They got it wrong that year, and that's why Dustin ended up being uh, uh, representing Ireland. You know, it's so, crazy. But John, do you need, sorry, James, to cut across you. What you need to do, Charlie, is put it into an email now. That idea, while you think of it, send it to Noel Curran, who's Emer Quinn's husband. He's the head of the EBU at the mm. moment. Get it to him. So he's a, he's an Irishman. He might just listen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there we go. Yeah. There we go. We've solved it. Uh, but Charlie, you've sat on the jury for Ireland before. Can you give us an idea of what that experience is like? Yeah, well, when I sat on the jury, and even when I sat on the jury for the National Song Contest, it was run on a very strict basis of rules. You had to listen to the song so many times, you had to have a consensus of people's votes. There was actually a firm of accountants, KPMG, that the year that I was, the last time I did it, and the, the accountant sat there and audited what you were doing. You know, he was literally, so you can't do that. You can't, oh yeah, you can't, no, you can't vote for that because that's, blah, blah, you're doing it the wrong way. Uh, it was very serious. Now that has all changed. 
because there's no longer, you know, Britain, for example, no longer have um, a, a song contest where people, or maybe they do, I don't know. Um, it, you know, it was very, but, but being on the jury, I still always, I, I think I have a certain amount of integrity in that I would, I couldn't possibly vote for a song I didn't like. So what what year were you on the on the jury for, for oh, the actual contest? I, I can't remember. You know, I've done it a couple of times, so I, I just can't remember. You know, um, but but you know, um, it was always I value my integrity, and I, I and I would vote for what I thought was a really good song or not or whatever whatever yeah. it was. You know, and. I was just going to say I was I was on the the, the Eurovision one the Irish jury for for the for the whole Eurovision for three maybe four years in a row yeah and four years in a row there was what five or maybe five percent I can't remember how many is on it probably maybe six people and we were we would file we would watch them I think the night before I can't remember how it worked anyway we would get a certain amount of views and then you'd watch them on the night and this was when it was split into two but anyway the upshot of it is all four years our jury selected the top three yeah one you know yeah. so that, that 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 gave me a great indication as to how accurate we were you know yeah, yeah, i mean yeah. and we were you were individually kind of voting but you would be there was always a bit of banter somebody said oh god i love this and somebody said mm, not so keen about that you yeah. know and it was i mean you look at the uk i don't they haven't won it in a hundred years and they don't care which is great because they love the pageantry they love the enjoyment they just go in and and and, and that's kind of what it is about too you know i mean i mean well, we have, at the same time paul i think there was a certain amount of national pride you know um and i think that when we won it i i felt kind of a pride in the nation that we won it. And i think people did people you know oh, the, the, the viewers did and i think england um I mean, it's the land of, I mean, you've got the, the land of songwriters in England. Some of the major world-class songwriters come from England, you know. But there's no legislating for, for how, how that comes or rises to the top. But the thing is, you just don't know, I mean, who goes in for what. I mean, you talk about national pride, but, the, but you know, if you, if, you, if you come, you know, 34th place in the Eurovision, you don't come home feeling a sense of national shame. You know, there's still well done fair play you did your best you know there's, there's still a, a sense of pride even as you said representing you know yeah yeah talking about i was just going to ask about about songwriting because charlie you i think was it 2015 i'm writing saying you wrote a song for um for the irish selection anybody got a shoulder i could cry anybody got a hand to hold anybody Well, I, I was I was particularly disappointed um, uh, when we didn't uh, we we had we were well ahead on the jury votes, and uh, when the telephone votes came in, we were reduced to third or fourth place, and I I, I figured I had a really good song, I had a really good singer, and I think we would have been in you know I'm, I'm not blowing my own trumpet, but I you know I I do feel we had a better song than the song that represented Ireland that year. And I do feel kind of a little bit sour about it, you know, sometimes because when you write a song, you know, it becomes your child, you know, and it's, and, and you know, I, I, I think by the vagaries of the telephone system, we were kicked out. That, mm. That's again, I know, I know I had my opinion about the telephone system before that, but you know, it's not just that that, that, that makes me feel that way. Um, but Paul, have, have you got a, an eye on writing a song to, to go back to Eurovision with? Is that something that you, like Charlie, you'd be keen to do or? 
No, is the short answer. I don't. I, it's not. It's, it wasn't something on, on my radar at all. I mean, I I'm not. You know, I don't. I don't really spend a great deal of time. Like like Charlie is a songwriter, prolific songwriter. Uh, I'm not. I have written a couple of songs. I've written. I, in fact, I think I've written a couple of good ones. But um, and, and and one in particular that that uh, Charlie and I co-wrote or worked together on. It's just it's just a strange way to explain it. But however, um, Paul, just to just interrupt you there. It's a song I think called "Song for Siobhan. It's an absolutely wonderful song. Um, and, I, and here I am, blow my own trumpet again, but it is a great song because it comes from the heart. And I know you're happy now. I see it in your face. And though I cry sometimes, I know you're in a better place. I know you're happy now. And I should accept it all. And just enjoy the moments when you call. It was it was from a dream. I lost my sister back in two thousand five. But anyway, um, so writing a song for Eurovision, not not it wasn't on my radar at all. But who knows? I mean, if, if Charlie, Brandon, whoever, some somebody said, think we think we got the bones of something here. Will we will we take mm. onto it? Sure. I mean, I mean. As I'm more of an interpreter than a writer, uh, and I think that I think that's I think that's my strength. You know. Uh, you know, I often say about singers, you know, Maura O'Connell would have been somebody that recorded my songs, different people that recorded my songs. I always think that a singer actually rewrites the song because they interpret it a certain way. And I, I, I had a, 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 a song that literally still brings me royalties called Feet of a Dancer uh, that Maura O'Connell recorded. Now, if Maura O'Connell hadn't recorded that song, um, I don't think I would have made a penny out of it because the chemistry of there, the song, the singer, and the time, the right, just the right time for it. Um, with Eurovision, the, the, funnily enough, the song that I put in for Eurovision that time was written 30 years previous. Uh, it, it had been written way back 30 years previous to that particular night. So songs have a life, you know, and I just don't know what made me find it. It just came up somewhere or other and I, and I put it in. So I, I have a back catalogue of loads and loads of songs that, that certainly would do Ireland well, but I'm not, I'm not too sure whether I want to do it or not. I want to, because I was shattered with, the, with, the, with the, what happened to the last one. You know, it, it doesn't, doesn't do you any good to be shattered. <laughs> watch this space. We say that, watch this space yeah. and we'll see what happens. Um, one last quick question. Uh, we ask everybody this who comes on the podcast. What's your second favourite Eurovision song of all time? What's another year? <laughs> oh, just like that. Straight away. <laughs> well, <laughs> but I think I, I, I was going to say my because I, I think my favorite course I automatically go to the Irish ones, you know. Uh, so I mean, hold me now. I think is my favorite. So I'm going to have to say what's another year. No, I would say uh, I'm going to tell a lie here uh, uh, because I'm going to tell you what my first favorite one was, mainly because you were there, James. Um, my 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 favorite song was actually uh, the Shadows. Let me be the one, um, which I think was 1975. Um, which I thought was a great song. Uh, my second favourite would actually be Love is Blue. Um, but I think Paul Moria was the fellow that wrote the song. So there it was. Paul Harrington and Charlie McGettigan, winners of the Eurovision Song Contest 1994 here on the Trip. And as I said at the top of the show, I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed doing it as well. And it was a bit of a surprise for me too, because originally, I was only originally going to be chatting to Charlie. And when he said, yes, I'd love to, he said, well, I tell you what, James, it would be great to do with Paul as well. I thought, oh, my luck's in. 
I couldn't believe it when you said, you know what? You'll never guess who popped up on the interview earlier on. Just to get the pair of them was absolutely fantastic. And I hope you feel, as you mentioned the word wholesome earlier on, James, as just wonderful and warm and chilled and relaxed and, oh, what a listen. It was fantastic. I just absolutely loved it. So I really, really hope you have enjoyed that. Our first gift uh, from us to you. Next week, we'll be back with our second gift for the Christmas period because it's another interview. James, you've been working very hard. You are the elf on this uh, on this podcast. <laughs> I am the Santa. You do all the hard work. I get all the credit, probably, maybe. Is that how it works? I'm not sure we've agreed to that. No, no, Rob, come on. But as he says, we've got another big interview special coming to you next Wednesday. So again, like this week, it's just one big interview with somebody quite important from the world of the Eurovision Song Contest. And I will admit, when I say the name, you may well say, oh, well, I don't quite know who that is. But it is Lee Smithhurst, and he is the series producer of Eurovision for the BBC. Yeah, how many times have we sat there thinking, I'd love the BBC to answer some questions about their Eurovision coverage and their selection process and just the way they handle themselves around the contest. Well, this is it. You're going to get pretty much all of the answers that you've ever wanted to know because the interview that James has done with Lee is wide-ranging, all about how the BBC go about choosing an artist, how they go about preparing for the competition and everything that goes on behind the scenes. It is a fascinating listen. It certainly is. Uh, Lee is very open about what the BBC has been doing over the last few years and he gives you a bit of an insight into how he fell into the world of the Eurovision Song Contest as well. And I tell you, that is a unique way that he's gotten involved. It's well worth tuning into uh, for next week's episode of the Eurotrip. Uh, But for this week, we are done. We are. Now, as a gift from you to us, please don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review, and of course, rate us five star. We would love you forever if you do that. And never hesitate to get in touch with us over on social media. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter as well. We are at Eurotrip Podcast. We would love to hear from you. We certainly would. And one thing I'd love to hear from you is whether or not you enjoyed this week's big interview with Paul and Charlie, because as much as we got fantastic stories from them, there is so much that is untouched. And they both said to me, if the audience wants it, they will gladly come back to do another interview. So if you want to hear more from the winners of Eurovision 1994, then do not hesitate to get in touch with us and let us know on Twitter or Instagram at Eurotrip Podcast. So for now, from me, it's goodbye and a very Merry Christmas. And from me, it's goodbye and Merry Christmas. And someone else is here to to wish Merry Christmas. I can't believe he, he's, he's here, but uh, do we want to hear a Merry Christmas? Oh, come on. Who is it, Rob? Let's have it. I think you know who it is. Hold on. He's just he's just popped up now. Hold on. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, de, ho. There, the old Merry Christmas. I hope you have a wonderful time. Ho, 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 ho. If you are wondering, that was Terry Wogan. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.